Our gospel passage today is coming from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, verses verses 46 through 55. I invite you to stand as you are able in body and spirit for the reading of the gospel passage. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. And surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When reading this passage and looking at the passage before it, excuse me, Randy, pulpit, thank you. All right, so when I read this passage and the passage before it, I think of unlikely heroes. I don't know if y'all ever looked at some unlikely heroes in the Bible, but they always intrigue me. And also when it comes to unlikely heroes in our modern day life. There's one unlikely hero that many of you probably know this story, especially if you're from a certain generation. Younger ones may not know this story, but I always find it really intriguing. It is the story of Oscar Schindler, okay? Some of y'all may know about the story of Oscar Schindler. He was born in April 28, 1908. He was born as an ethnic German and a Catholic. As he got older in life, he held a variety of jobs, including working at his father's farm machinery business, opening a driving school, and eventually selling government property. He also would serve in Czechoslovakian army in 1938. Well, in 1939, this is coming up to the point of World War II, Germany would annex this part of Europe, especially the Sudetenland, where, at this point, Schindler would then join in with the German government and the Nazi party. As an opportunistic businessman with a taste for finer things in life, with some questionable personal life choices, he would seem like the unlikely candidate to become a wartime rescuer. However, during World War II, he would come to rescue more than 1,000 Jewish people, men and women, from concentration camps. And the way he would do it is that he would use his businesses to shield them for, uh, from uh, being going to the concentration camps. So he took advantage of a program that was used to Germanize Jewish operations and Polish-owned businesses. And so he would operate and own a Jewish-owned manufacturer. He bought one in 1939 of November. And there he would use Jewish workers from the nearby slum area or area called the uh, Kator Ghetto. 
And at that peak, he would employ over 1,700 workers by 1944, where 1,000 of them were Jewish forced laborers. And he became sympathetic to their condition, and he became wise to what was happening at the concentration camps. And so he decided to change the operations of his factories to make ammunition and wartime products for the Nazi government. And he convinced them that his Jewish laborers were essential for the war effort and that they did not need to go back to the concentration camps. And so he was able to convince the government and the SS police to not send them away because they were needed for the war effort. Shortly after starting this operation, he would have to eventually do some bribery and some under-the-table dealings to protect his workers. But it would pay off and it would work. And then this was not without cost, though. He was always watched with a closeful eye. He would be even arrested three times. And while he was there arrested, they would always let him go because they never can pinpoint a charge on him. Eventually, he got authorization to relocate his factory to Moravia, where it would be exclusively used as an armament factory, and he was able to take with him over 1,000 Jewish workers with him, and that later became known as the list of Schindler's List to get them to go to this factory. And he was able to convince the government to do so, and while he moved them to the new factory, he claimed that he was producing all this ammunition within the first eight months, but he only actually would produce one wagon load. He was able to falsify his documents on how much he was actually producing. And he finally was able to close his factory on May 9, 1945, when the Soviet troops liberated the town. And so this story of Oskar Schindler is known by many through movies or a movie and a book that many of us have probably read or seen, but it's a very interesting story of an unlikely hero during World War II. And so unlikely heroes, as I said, always intrigue me. And we come across two unlikely heroes in today's passage. What I read was known as Mary's Prayer, or the Magnificat, as some of us have called it. But if you back up a few verses before, you have this interesting scene between Mary and her relative Elizabeth. Hear the verses 39 through 45 of the same first chapter. It said, In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child in her womb, uh, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment and was spoken to her by the Lord. See, unlikely heroes, Elizabeth and Mary at this scene. Because Mary, being a young virgin with child, okay, lowly woman, and then you have Elizabeth who is past childbearing age, carrying John the Baptist who would proclaim and prepare the way, for the Lord, carrying two children that would transform the world as we know it, and one of them carrying a child, which is why the reason we're here this very Sunday morning. Two people who are unlikely heroes with an interesting story. You know, there used to be a uh, feast in the 12th and 13th century that kind of highlighted the upside downness of how God chose to bring in Jesus Christ. 
You know, Jesus was brought to us through Mary. It was proclaimed through John the Baptist and Elizabeth. He could have done this in a variety of ways. He could have had this all come through the hierarchy of priesthood. He could have done the, the emperor of the day, could have made the proclamation. He could have done a lot of things that really would have amplified the coming of the Messiah. But he chose to do it in this way, with these women in this moment. And so in the 12th and 13th century, the Catholic Church would have what was called a Feast of the Fools. I don't know if you all have heard of the Feast of the Fools. And to highlight on how upside down God chose to do this, or how we viewed it as backwards, in the Feast of the Fools, it was a time where the, the lowly deacons of the church would be elevated up to bishops for about a few days during the feast. And they would be bishops. And then the bishops would be the servants and the deacons. And the laity would assume higher roles in the church, and the hierarchy of the church would assume lowly roles. And eventually that would go out into the community where the community would do things backwards, like wear their clothes backwards and walk backwards and do all these things backwards, just to highlight on how interesting and how unique it was for God to do this coming of the Messiah through Mary and in this way. But the Feast of the Fools only lasted for a couple of hundred years and no longer is it really observed. But that was something that was done in the medieval days to kind of highlight this. Unlikely heroes, this unlikely situation for the Messiah to be brought into the world. And we see this, though. It shouldn't come as a surprise. Because when you look throughout Scripture, you see that we have these what would be unlikely heroes of our faith. Some of the major ones would be Moses. Moses is an unlikely hero. His story of being in the basket and being found and all of that and murdering somebody and going out into the wilderness, but yet he was called by God to lead his people out of bondage, of slavery, out of Egypt to the promised land. Unlikely hero, big story. David, the youngest son, shepherd boy, would not have been picked to go into the army of Israel, but yet was chosen and later became king of Israel. Major character, unlikely hero. And then Paul, persecutor of the early Christians, with all that he has done, who would have thought that he would be one of the major contributors to our Bible that we read today? And then you also have the lesser-known heroes, Jethro, Mordecai, and even the lesser-known hero of the professing thief on the cross that believed at the last minute, unlikely heroes of the faith. There's a passage in 1 Samuel that I like. It's one of the passages that I like to quote to highlight this on how God views the world and how he views individuals differently than how many of us would, especially the culture of our day today. It's 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, it should have been of no surprise that the faithful Mary and Elizabeth would have been picked for this ushering in of two people that would transform the world. On the outside, no one would have, if you're just looking on the outside, no one would have picked them. But God looks at the inside. And it's so true when you look at all the unlikely, but are they really unlikely, heroes of the Bible. We should have seen that their heart was right. Just like how Schindler on the outside was not a man of great moral character, but yet he had the heart that saved so many people. And so this is how we get to Mary's song. 
Mary's song reinforces how God views the world and how we should, as Christians, view and live within the world. Hear it again. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has fed and filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promises he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. There's some key things in this passage. Kate kind of lifted them up in the children's moment about how we see these opposites play out in the passage here, where he says he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now, you would think right here that he is punishing the powerful and getting rid of the powerful, but it says he just brings them down from their thrones and lifts up the lowly. You would think that you go on with the rich, that the rich get picked on a lot in Scripture. They're told that it's hard for you to find your way into heaven if you have all your riches. But here it just says it doesn't give the rich any more. They've got enough. But what he does is that he feeds and fills the hungry. God is all about reestablishing his creation as equals. That we are all created equal within the eyes of God. To him, no one is above the other. To him, everybody has the potential to be a hero. And so what he is doing here is he is showing that he created his world to have no disparity amongst the creation. And since there is disparity amongst his creation, what he is trying to do and what he has done through Jesus Christ is to reconcile all of that. Because of Jesus Christ, we are all saved and we have the potential to live with God and have that relationship with God through Jesus But to really understand and see all this is really hard to at this time, especially this time of the year. We've got, as Christians, two things competing for our attention. We have what we have now as the season of Advent, but then we also have the world's idea of Christmas. They're not the same. They compete for our attention. You see, the season of Advent is meant for us to wait and be still, is for us to focus on what this coming Messiah is going to mean for all of us. And it's a place of centering, a place of calm and waiting. Could you tell it's very calm this season with all the shopping sprees and the backlog of orderings and all the extra parties we get to do this year because COVID's not a big a thing as it was last year? To me, and I think for many of us, we may seem busier this year than we have been in a year or so. We may be feeling the exhaustion. We may see more folks at the grocery store and buying more things, and it's just getting more and more and more and more and more, and you can barely catch your breath. But see, that's normal Christmas for our society, is to be busy and wear it as a badge of honor during the season. But that's not what Advent's about. Advent is about waiting, be still, 
Focus on the coming Messiah. You get to celebrate on Christmas Day. The party for Christians begins on Christmas Day, not on Thanksgiving Day. And so we live in this tension of the world where we're being pulled one way here and one way the other, and it gets exhausting. And so for Advent, what we need to do, what we need to do, and it's hard to do, is to peel away some of those things that distract us for what Christ and the gift of Christ truly means for us. That during that season leading up to it, we should be focusing on the manger, focusing on the manger, waiting for that day, waiting for the celebration. And as we do all that, as we focus on today, we need to see the world as God sees the world. As God can pinpoint what we would call an unlikely hero, but he knows their heart. And that their heart is full of love. As God looks at each one of our hearts, our hearts should be filling up with love. Not stress, not worried about the next thing we have to do. But focusing on the world and seeing the world as God does. And that takes patience. It takes focus and intentionality in what you do. And so the season of Advent, we're called to do that. We're called to see the world as God sees it, which is through the lens of love. That's what it means to recapture the true meaning of love. And love, as we, many of us well know, is not an emotion, but it is a choice. It is something we have to choose to do. And sometimes it's hard, depending on where we are in our life and who we're trying to love, we are called as Christians to love everyone. Doesn't mean you accept what everyone does, but you love them regardless as God loves us despite our mistakes. And that right there is what God is trying to do when you read in Mary's song where he's trying to get everyone on equal playing field because his creation deserves love from him and they deserve love from each other and to everyone. And so that is our challenge this week. Or maybe that is just what our focus this week needs to be. We need to be intentional in the ways we love God and love others. We need to be intentional in focusing on what is godly and pushing out things that are not godly in our lives. Because as they say with love, Christian perfection of love, as you begin to see the world more like God does and allow that love in your heart, it pushes out all the negativity and pushes out all the other things because there's no more room for it. There's no more room for it. But that is something we have to wake up each and every day and make the choice to do. So it's hard, friends. It's hard sometimes, especially when they, you're out and about and they cut you off on the road or they get that last can or whatever you're trying to get for your casserole. Those fried onions are probably gone by now if you're using them from green bean casseroles. Too late. So Christmas tree cakes, my wife has learned, they come and go real quickly too. So, you know, if there's things you need to get and you get frustrated when it's not there, just let it go. Just let it go. Let the perfect love fill your heart. So you know what? That person needed that fried onion thing more than me. I'll do something else. I'll bring a whatever, another casserole, whatever I got in the pantry. So, you know, this season we can choose to let things go. We can choose to love others. We can choose to see the world as God does. And so this season between now and next Sunday, a lot's going to happen. But between now and next Sunday, let that be in our minds. That as God chose Mary 
and Elizabeth to bring in this new transformation of the world. Everybody has the potential to be the hero. Everybody is loved by God, and may we see the world as God does this season of Advent. Let us pray.